Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hi, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of the Animal Files podcast. Last week, we started to treat you feline enthusiasts a bit. We were talking about ordinary, or in my eyes, extraordinary, but ordinary short-haired cat breeds. And today, we are going to take another journey that goes beyond the ordinary. So we all know that every cat and every cat breed is unique in its own way. Well, these less common cat breeds may not typically conform to the usual expectations, and that's what makes them fascinating. And just as artists use different colors and strokes to create unique paintings, nature has painted these breeds with a different brush. You like how we got a little uh, poetic there? (laughs) (laughs) So have you ever wondered why humans decided to create new and unusual breeds? Well, let me tell you, my partner Miranda is going to let you know that. (laughs) Well, just because human beings differ in so many ways in their beliefs, their values, and all of these different things, they also have a variety of motivations driven by their own interests and their preferences. But are these reasons all positive? Well, let's find out and see if you might agree or disagree with some of these reasons. All right. I'm waiting. (laughs) All ears. (laughs) Well, the first one is a desire for uniqueness. Mm. There are many cat enthusiasts and breeders that are drawn to the idea of owning a cat that stands out from the common domestic cats. And less common breeds can provide an opportunity to have a unique and distinctive pet. Okay. There can also be aesthetic preferences, which basically focuses on what the cat looks like. So you might have certain breeders or cat lovers who have a desire to have specific aesthetic preferences, such as the coat colors, the patterns, and the physical features. Another reason why new breeds might be created is to deal with the issue of some people having allergies to cats. Since there are some people who do have allergies to the cat dander, which is created by typically the saliva of the cat, which then dries on their fur and their skin. When we breed cats with specific coat types or hypoallergenic qualities, This can help individuals with allergies enjoy feline companionship. And if you remember from last week, we also talked about the Russian blues not having a specific protein in their saliva that can enhance that allergic response. Yeah, that's very cool. I would think since allergies come from the saliva, that's probably, I would think, I'm not a breeder, but I would think reducing that protein is the key, not necessarily changing the coat. Now, obviously Mm -hmm. some coats probably are a little bit more sleeker or slippier, slippier, slippery, (laughs) (laughs) more slippery. (laughs) Yeah, I can talk today, but more slippery. 
So the protein probably comes off the fur easier or it absorbs. The, I, I mean, I don't know, but I would think reducing the actual protein in the saliva would be the key mm-hmm. to truly creating a hypoallergenic cat, not focusing on the coat textures. Yeah. And I'm not sure if all of the breeders out there understand enough about what causes allergies. Because I think there's a lot of belief that it's the shedding of the coat that is the issue. We know that's not true, though. Right. But there might be a lot of people who breed out there who aren't aware of that. And so they might think that by reducing the amount of coat that the cat has, that they're reducing the allergic response. I don't know how that process works. But yeah, I think you're right that focusing on the protein is the key. We just want to make sure, though, that if we're going to be reducing this protein that can create an allergic response, that we're not at the same time harming the cat in some way. Good point. Or at least lessening that if that particular protein is not connected to something else that the cat needs. Right. So I'm wondering if the protein reduction in the Russian blue was actually a intentional thing or an accidental thing. That would be interesting to find out. Yeah, yeah. So temperament is another reason why some people choose to create a new breed. Mm. Because, you know, people can have a preference for different personality traits. Some of them want cats that are going to be more laid back, maybe more cuddly. Some might want them to be more talkative. Some of them might want them to be more playful and (laughs) dog-like. There's a variety (laughs) of things. So I've had some cats that were like dogs and they are a lot of fun. (laughs) They're a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun. (laughs) I used to have soccer balls that they used to play soccer around the house and they would bring it back to me. Yeah, it was quite funny. (laughs) The fact that you could have a cat fetch for you, bring it back. is just, it's kind of neat to have that. (laughs) I've only had it with a couple of my cats over the years, but it's still fun. This aspect was actually kind of interesting to me because it wasn't something I had ever really considered, but it sort of makes sense at the same time, is that there could be historical or cultural significance Mm. to why some breeds are created. Some uncommon breeds do have a historical or cultural significance in certain regions or communities. And when these regions or communities preserve rare and uncommon cat breeds, this can help them to maintain a connection to the past and reinforce cultural identity. So for example, some cats have played a role in local folklore, traditions, or practices. And so then they can hold a special significance. There's also some cat breeds that have a documented history that dates back centuries And some communities may view these breeds as a living link to their heritage and history. When they celebrate them, this can be a way to honor and remember their ancestors' way of life. And another thing that falls under this is that some of these regions or communities consider that breeding and showcasing rare cat breeds helps to create jobs, boost tourism, and generate income for local businesses, such as catteries and pet-related services. I don't know if we should be breeding animals to make money, but well, my opinion. But I like the <laughs> idea. Like I like the idea of preserving historical and cultural references mm-hmm. because we are talking about the Labradors. That was almost mm-hmm. an extinct breed of dog, and then somebody revived it, and now look at 
it's the most popular dog breed in the world. Right. So I kind of like that connection of historical and cultural influences. I'm not a fan of the boost tourism and try to make more money. Yeah. You know, I don't know why you would need that. I think there's an island somewhere in the Far East that is all cats. Right. Yeah. They're all regular cats. That island gets a lot of tourism. So I don't think you need to create a breed to create tourism. <laughs> <laughs> My opinion, I know. But this next reason, I'm more in this camp. Mm. Yeah, I think it's going more in this direction as a reason for breeding certain breeds. But there's still people in other camps that are not quite on board with this yet. And this reason that people could be breeding new breeds is to help improve their health and genetics. If a breeder chooses to develop new, healthier, and genetically diverse breeds, then they can help to address or mitigate common genetic health issues. So therefore, they help to improve the overall well-being of cats. Yeah, and the people who aren't in the camp of creating healthy animals are the ones that are trying to make money. Or they're so entrenched in the culture of having this particular breed that, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of crossbreeding going on in a lot of these strictly pure breeds just because of people wanting to have more of the same more of the same more of the same we know what happens if you inbreed over several generations it may take longer in animals but you don't end up having healthy animals Mm -hmm. they might look pretty but they're going to have health issues like cardiac problems and kidney problems and structural problems and all of that stuff so Mm -hmm. again yeah my opinion But anybody who is not on board with breeding for health and diversity to address the problems that breeds have, those are the ones that are just in it for the money Mm -hmm. or the awards or the accolades. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that it's important and valuable to bring in other existing, not even breeds necessarily, it could even just be your average domestic short hair which could even be better just because of the fact that they're already genetically diverse yeah. and breeding them with a breed that is having health issues of some sort. Yes, it's going to change the appearance of that particular breed, but I think we should really be focusing on the health and well-being of cats and dogs and whatever other animal we breed and not on the appearance. Yeah. I agree. I mean, imagine if people did that with humans. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) The next reason that some people will choose to create a new breed or continue on with a breed that is not well known is for companionship and lifestyle. There's something to be said about this, but... You know, I think, again, people don't have children to say, oh, I'm going to have this child be the certain way because I don't want to have a child that's too active or <laughs> or I want to have a child that is going to be very into sports or something like that. Like, <laughs> Well, unfortunately, there are some people that think that designer children is the way of the future. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Any life form should develop exactly as nature intended. I think so. Not in how ego chooses. Yes, exactly. But there are some breeders who will develop 
certain types of cats to allow cat lovers to choose a breed that is going to align with their lifestyle, such as wanting less time needed for grooming activities, or maybe they want to have more playtime or cuddling time with their cat. Dog people do that. I mean, look mm-hmm. at the different types of breeds mm-hmm. that we have in dogs. You have active breeds, you have lazy breeds, you have, you know, mm-hmm. there's so many different types. So I don't know, maybe it's the future of cats. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The next reason that these unusual cats could be developed is for the purpose of hobbies and interests. So there could be some individuals who are really passionate about cat breeding as a hobby or as a way to contribute to the development of new breeds and may have a really deep interest in genetics and animal husbandry. Hopefully they're more on the genetics and animal husbandry side than just the hobby side. Oh, this is pretty. Let's breed it. Mm-hmm. We all know my thoughts on that. <laughs> if you listen to the animal files long enough, you know where we stand in that. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is another one that we both, I think, don't really agree with. And that is developing new breeds for the purpose of show and competition. Yeah, that just goes into the whole money thing because the more shows and competitions you win, the more money you can make and then you can breed your animals. These breeds that are being in show, they're all intact. I I mean, yeah, it's all money. It's all money. Yeah, I think it's sad that if we're going to have shows and competitions at all, I think it's sad that these animals have to be intact in order to be qualified. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Because then if you win a couple of awards, then you can charge like $10,000 for one of their litters. Mm-hmm. It's it's wrong. I feel bad for the animals. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with this next one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next one is conservation efforts. Because some of these uncommon cat breeds are developed as part of a conservation effort to protect and preserve certain breeds that could be at a risk of extinction due to declining populations. Yeah, like the Labradors that we talked about yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. Now there's also market demand. Yeah, mm-hmm. not on board with this one. <laughs> yeah, this is another money-making thing because breeds with unique characteristics can generate market demand among collectors and enthusiasts. All right. I'm just going to say one thing. You should not be collecting animals. You should not be collecting Bengals or collecting Sphinx or collecting Labradors or collecting Vort. You don't collect animals. They are sentient beings, not statues that you collect and put all over your friggin' house. Sorry, I got triggered. (laughs) Yeah, they're not like, you know, little ornaments or paintings or something like that that you can put on your shelf or a wall. They deserve your love, your respect, your care. If you don't respect them, if you can't actually love them for being an individual animal. That's a problem there. Yeah. And this is another one that I have an issue with is that Some people choose to create new breeds as a form of innovation and experimentation. Uh Now, again, if it's like focused on improving the well-being of the animal, okay, maybe the innovation and experimentation might be okay. But 
that's usually not the focus. A lot of the time they are deliberately crossing breeds to create new and interesting combinations. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, I said that sarcastically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're right to do so because with all these hybrid <laughs> cats that are around, that's what all that is. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair to the animals, especially with hybrid cats, because you're mating with wild animals. And a lot of times it takes several times for that wild animal to breed with a domestic animal. And so you end up losing lots of domestic animals in the process. Mm -hmm. It's just, and it's probably where they got the munchkins from. Oh, let's see if we can find cats that stay kittens all the time. You know, it's wrong. It's wrong. Way wrong. Yeah. There's certain parts of breeding that really, really trigger me. And I know it triggers you too. It just, yeah. We need to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. We don't need new and interesting combinations. No. And whatever the reasons might be for developing new cat breeds, this process should be carried out responsibly with a focus on the health and well-being of the cats or whatever animal it might be that is involved. Ethical breeders are always going to prioritize the welfare of the animals and they are going to adhere to breed standards and guidelines set forth by cat registries and organizations. Yeah, that's the one good side of breeding. Yeah, but of course, that's also, you know, a question of are these cat registries or dog registries and organizations completely ethical in their guidelines and breed standards? Exactly. Yeah. So, But at least they're breeding with boundaries in mind. Right. And I think that's what I appreciate, the boundaries. Mm-hmm. whether they're ethical or not, that's for another time and another discussion. But I just think the idea of limiting breeders in some way, shape or form can be helpful to the animal. Mm-hmm. So choosing an unusual, unique or rare cat breed can offer you a wonderful, fascinating, and enriching experience. But also you need to keep in mind that they can provide you with challenges if you don't know enough about these feline treasures. They could potentially possess qualities, quirks, and charms that are far different from your more common breeds. And they can also have intriguing stories and characteristics as well. They also may not conform to your usual expectations of felines. So when we come back after the break, we're going to explore the five least common cat breeds and discover their unique traits as well as the care that they each need. These are going to be the Minskin, the Aussie Cat, the Selkirk Rex, the American Curl, and the Korat. You may want to write these down for reference, and you'll see why when we come back. Okay, well, let's just repeat it for them, (laughs) just so they don't write this down, guys. The Minskin, the Aussie Cat, the Selkirk Rex, the American Curl, and the Korat. And we'll just leave you with that. So we'll see you in just a little bit. Hi, everyone. We hope you've been enjoying season three. It's been a great couple of years so far. Moraine and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. If you want to help us out, you can just head to the website, www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. And we are back. So how many of those breeds have you heard of? But if you do know any of those cats, what's your experience with them? Do you have any? 
And if you're interested, have we piqued your curiosity? So let's delve into the five least recognized short hair cat breeds and what you need to know about them. We're going to do this section just a little bit differently. So I'm just going to let Miranda take it from here and we're going to maybe play a little game, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it might be fun to just do this just slightly differently and get you guys more involved with kind of participating in this episode (laughs) or at least the second half. Cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to describe each breed and then we're going to give you a chance to guess what breed you think we might be talking about before we end up spilling the beans. (laughs) (laughs) Toe beans? (laughs) Toe beans. (laughs) Best part of the cat. (laughs) So we'll start with cat number one. This breed resembles a sphinx. And it's got a small, stocky body, short legs, and light blue eyes. And they may only grow up to four pounds. That's a little cat. And it's a relatively young breed. So the development of this young breed is currently still being monitored by TICA, which is the International Cat Association. No other associations have accepted this breed at this point. Okay. These cats are very friendly with a bold personality. They are generally very social with their people and other pets in the home. Oh, so they're friendly. Cool. Mm -hmm. This breed is fairly energetic, intelligent, and quite easy to train. However, they don't adapt very well to change, whether it's their routine or moving to a new home. These cats do require similar care as the Sphinx cats, but it is unknown at this point whether breeding for the hairless appearance and the short legs has or will cause health issues for this breed. Lastly, these relatively new cats on the block were developed in 1998 by crossing the Sphinx, Munchkin, Devon Rex, and Burmese breeds. And currently, there has only been 50 cats where they have fit the criteria that the breed envisioned. And that was by 2005. There doesn't seem to be an update that I could find to where they are now. But that was less than 20 years ago, where there was only 50 cats that met the criteria. Wow, that's not a lot. I cringe a little bit with the fact that they used a munchkin, but I'm maybe, maybe hopeful since the other cats, the Sphinx, Devon Rex, and Burmese are large-sized cats with pretty sturdy bodies, that maybe this is the way that we can start breeding little cats without dwarfism perhaps i don't know i'm maybe i'm being hopeful i mean i I sound like i'm anti-munchkin i kind of am but not because of the cats Mm -hmm. i'm against it because the way people look at them and why they're created in the first place and i don't think we should be supporting people like that Mm -hmm. but that's i mean it sounds really cute i mean a four pound cat i've had a four pound cat Mm -hmm. (laughs) she had siamese in her somewhere and made her tiny but small healthy cats are nice to have as long as they're healthy yeah i mean with these cats having shorter legs it is going to make it more challenging for them to be able to jump and get up on things because yeah. that's going to be a definite challenge for them. Whether there's going to be any other challenges will remain to be seen. Yeah. All right. We'll have to keep an eye on that one and reserve judgment. Mm-hmm. They're not doing so good just yet, but <laughs> in my <laughs> eye, but we'll see how it ends up. So did you guys guess what cat we were talking about? <laughs> 
Well, if you have or you haven't, the answer is the min skin. Mini skin, no fur. Yeah. Mini min yeah. skin. <laughs> I know I went on a rampage before we even found out which cat it was, but <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you know it's not the breed that I'm judging. <laughs> Okay, what's our next cat? So our next cat was developed in 1964 by crossing an Abyssinian, Siamese, and American shorthair. They are medium to large breeds, and they tend to weigh more than they look like they should, most likely because they are very solid and well-muscled with the fullness of their body and chest. These cats are usually very agile, alert, athletic, graceful, full of vitality, and very social. They're not going to do well with being left alone for any period of time. Mm. Their coats are always spotted with a satiny sheen that can come in 12 different colors. Wow. <laughs> They're going to be very devoted to you, dog-like in personality, and are very intelligent and easy to train. They also easily adapt to traveling and are generally low maintenance to care for other than not being left alone for long. <laughs> mm -hmm. They have been known to play fetch, walk on a leash, and even respond to voice commands. Your last clue, if you haven't guessed yet, this breed resembles an ocelot. That's a pretty good clue. <laughs> <laughs> so as you may have figured out from that last clue, we were talking about the Aussie cat. <laughs> they're probably gorgeous and it sounds like they're healthy breed mm -hmm. overall they're pretty healthy sturdy breed mm -hmm. so let's go to cat number three <laughs> <laughs> or breed number three <laughs> these cats are heavy boned with short or long-haired coats that can come in many solid and mixed colors the hair is plush and loosely curled but it has a tousled look on the long-haired versions their whiskers are also curly but brittle, and they might break when they grow longer. Mm. These are generally quiet, laid-back cats that are playful, but they're not overly energetic. And they can enjoy playing by themselves for a period of time. They're usually very patient, tolerant, affectionate, and generally willing to cuddle. If you are also a fairly laid-back type of person, then you will likely be able to tolerate common comments or questions such as, the cat with a bad hair day. <laughs> or why don't you groom or brush your cat? Or this cat looks like the dip and dry variety. <laughs> <laughs> your final clue for this cat is that these cats were developed in 1987. So still a fairly young breed by mixing a curly coated house cat believed to have a Rex mutation with a Persian cat and they became a recognized breed in 1990. Wow. Three years from going from first litter to solid. Yeah. I don't know. Is that too fast or was it a solid dominant gene mix that just stayed? I don't know. Well, I think the curly coat, I believe I read that it was found to be a dominant gene because when they did the first mix, they said half the, half the litter had the curly hair, half the litter didn't. Yeah, that's pretty dominant. Yeah. So did you guys guess the Selkirk Rex? <laughs> <laughs> I think we gave it away when we said the Rex mutation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're beautiful cats. They are really beautiful cats. Mm -hmm. Our fourth cat is also a relatively young breed. 
They were developed in 1983, and it was discovered that there are no health defects associated with a specific trait that this breed is known for. Oh, wow. It's a medium-sized, rectangular-shaped cat with a silky flatline coat that is available both in long hair or short hair options, along with a variety of colors and patterns. Their temperament is that they are not particularly dominant or passive. They will often give other pets in the home time to adjust to their arrival. Well, that's nice of them. (laughs) (laughs) They tend to adjust very well to other pets, children, and new situations. So they seem pretty adaptable and resilient. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, if you want a warm, furry alarm clock to wake you up... These cats, we all? Yeah, right? these cats will gently <laughs> pat your eyelids, kiss your nose, and lick your hair to help you get ready for the day. <laughs> well, that's very generous of them. <laughs> Gives you a new perspective on get ready with me, right? Yeah. <laughs> you might also enjoy some of the other quirks that these cats have, such as taking a nap in your salad bowl, especially if it's stored up high. Maybe attempting to shower with you, or possibly claiming their rightful spot in front of the TV. <laughs> oh, these guys sound like they're fun. <laughs> Though these cats are typically fairly quiet, they always want to know what you are doing and will follow you around. Your last clue is that this breed is recognized for its distinct curled ears, similar to those of a lynx, and their ears will continue to curl throughout their kittenhood before setting into their final shape. I think this is an easy one for everybody to get, if they remember (laughs) our list from the beginning. Right. So we were talking about the American curl. These guys sound like they're fun. (laughs) Yes. I like the fact that they're pretty hardy cats too. Mm -hmm. Now this last one is going to be a little bit more difficult. Well, not if we do the process of elimination. (laughs) Well, that's the exact thing. So if you've been participating up to this point, then you'll probably be able to know which one this is. But (laughs) if you're just going just by the clues itself, you might have a little bit more challenge. (laughs) (laughs) These particular cats have a shimmering silver blue tipped coat and large green or amber eyes. They also have an unexpected heft that comes from their muscular shoulders, neck and chest. One of the interesting things about this breed Though I haven't really been able to see it myself. Maybe I am just don't have enough of a discerning eye for it. I don't know. But they are known to have five hearts associated with this breed. Okay. They are said to have a heart-shaped head. Interesting. A heart-shaped nose. Oh, how cute. A heart shape on the top of their head. My goodness. A heart shape on their chest. And then their actual beating heart. <laughs> wow. Fancy cats. They're also considered a symbol of good luck in their native Thailand. Mm. These cats love to climb, explore, solve problems, and cuddle. They are a fun-loving breed that enjoy racing around the house, fetching objects, or pouncing on feather toys. (laughs) Now, unlike the other cat that we were talking about, when it comes to other pets, expect that this breed is going to show them who's in charge. If there might be competition, in that area, you could potentially have some issues. Mm. That is good to know, because I think there's a lot of people that don't realize that cats 
can have some of the same dominance problems that dogs do. Mm -hmm. Your last clue is that this breed was discovered in Thailand, in the province that this cat was named after. They are believed to have actually been in existence since somewhere between 1350 and 1767. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So they've been around for quite a bit longer. (laughs) Yeah, that's an old breed. But there doesn't seem to be any definite documentation to confirm exactly when they came about. Mm -hmm. But there was a poem or I forget which one it was, a poem or a story that was written during that time period that referenced this particular cat, Mm. which is the Korat. It's kind of an interesting breed. I'm wondering if they're on our list of the least common because it might be a regional thing. Because if they've been around that long Mm -hmm. and they're not worldwide, either the Thai people are very guarded over this breed since it's, you know, considered good luck to have one Mm -hmm. that maybe they're considered sacred. So the breeding is very restricted and limited. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Interesting for a breed to be around that long and still be considered one of the least common, Mm -hmm. as cool as they sound as actual pets. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's like the Far East version of the Egyptian cat. Like it's it's a sacred thing to them. Well, I mean, not that the cats are bred to be working animals particularly, but kind of like the rare dogs that we talked about where they had been around for maybe not quite as long as this, but they'd been around for a relatively long time, like maybe 1800s or something like that. Mm -hmm. But they were bred for a specific job that was particular for the region that they were in. Now, because I can't include every single fact uh, in these episodes, because it's going to make it really We'd be here for four hours. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that I might recall... That the Korat was actually not specifically bred as a breed initially, like it kind of developed on its own. And then I think that the humans sort of came in and kind of, I forget what the word is. Saved it. Sure, we'll say that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's good because then that goes into some of the reasons why maybe people start breeding is to fine tune and finesse. And, you know, I mean, obviously, this breed of cat is really important to people in Thailand. So it would be that combination of fine tuning. So they become their own breed and also historical and cultural reasons. Mm -hmm. I would probably say that they're probably really healthy animals Mm -hmm. because if they evolved on their own with very little human intervention, Mm -hmm. that would mean to me that on their own, they're healthy animals Mm -hmm. without us messing with them. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we can maintain the health of these animals. But that's really cool. That's an interesting breed of cat. Mm -hmm. Well, out of the five, they're all pretty special to me. I mean, the American Curl sounds really cool. The Selkirk Rex, holy crap, they sound really cool. (laughs) And the Korat, very neat. Ossicat sounds beautiful. I mean- Yeah, very cool. Mm -hmm. This has been fun learning about these. So as you probably can tell, there are some wonderful and amazing uncommon breeds out there, but some of them might be more questionable as to why humans decided to develop them. Plus, some of these breeds could require more care than your average domestic cat. 
I think that we should always be keeping in mind that the development of a new breed or the continuation of existing breeds should not interfere with the health and the well-being of the animal. Agreed. I think the aim for any development of any animal breed should be focused firstly on creating a breed that is healthy and robust, then secondly on aesthetic appearance. Though appearance and temperament can certainly be kept in mind while developing that healthy and robust breed. Here, here. Yes. Make sure that your <laughs> animals are healthy. <laughs> so I hope you had a lot of fun with that. I know we had a lot of fun recording this for you. So if you have <laughs> any questions about any of these breeds, just let us know by emailing us at the Animal Files Podcast at gmail.com. And if you just want to head to our socials, the easiest way to do that would be going to the Animal Files official pretty much on every platform, minus X, formerly Twitter. <laughs> You'll find us at the Animal Files official on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. We're also trying to work out the bugs. We've had some delays in getting the YouTube channel up, but that will be coming. So if you are interested in any of that, just go to our website, theanimalfilespodcast.com, and all of that stuff will be there. If you want resources, that's there too. So next week, we are going to uh, go back to our usual science-y things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a little bit serious, a little bit, um, I think, essential that we learn about this. And I will tease you with that. So make sure you come back next week to know what I'm talking about. It's going to be a good one and a hard one mm -hmm. and a bittersweet one, but an important one. So come on back and we will see you next time here on the Animal Files podcast. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.